Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 179. Hi, how are you? Thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me. We're going to spend some quality solo time together today. It's just you and me, baby. Uh, We're going to talk about a very, very cool topic, but... Before we dive into that, let's let's do a world update. What's going on in your world? Uh, do you like how I always ask you that question? It is an invitation, actually. Uh, you can let me know what's going on in your world. You can email me. You can DM me. Uh, you can tag me in this podcast episode with your biggest takeaway and you can let me know what's going on in your world. I'm always super interested to know what is going on. Uh, And I'll tell you a little bit about what's going on in my world, shall I? (laughs) I'll give myself the invitation. Uh, So we're two weeks out from Australia We made a list last night of all the things that we got to do before we go. It's a long list, but it's all good stuff. It's great. Uh, There's just a lot on between now and hopping on that plane. Uh, So we're preparing for that. We're getting Hank organized, the apartment organized. We actually took down the rig. So for those of you who have seen this space and have been following along for a long time, we had a gym set up in our living room. (laughs) We didn't have any furniture, no couch, no TV, and we had the rig and all the gym equipment, but we took it down. She's in storage. Don't worry, she's not sold. And Carson bought a couch. (laughs) So now we have a couch, Uh, still no TV, and we won't be getting a TV. But one of the reasons why we did this was (laughs) for the lady who is coming to look after Hank. We didn't want her to have to sit on a rug or one chair in the middle of the room and be surrounded by gym equipment. So, And we're also renovating the apartment. Well, Carson is renovating the apartment. Uh, I take no part in renovations. Uh, We got two really, really cool new babies for the apartment, two new plants, a birds of paradise, which is taller than me, and a fig, which is almost taller than me. We went to a really cool plant sale on the weekend. There's this very funky plant store here in North Van and They actually did the plants for TEDx, so the TED conference, which one day I'm going to speak at. Uh, That's one of my really big goals uh, (laughs) is to speak at TED or TEDx. So they did the plant installation at TED. And so all the plants that were left over, they did a sale on them. And so we were there nice and early on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and we got a few plants. (laughs) It was so funny when we got home the elevator was broken 
in our apartment. We live on the third floor, the top floor. And so we had to carry these massive plants up three flights of stairs. And as we were coming in, you know, I was just filming Carson bringing in the birds of paradise uh, just for a story on the gram to show our new beautiful babies. And he didn't know I was filming him. (laughs) And he was saying, great job, love. Like, this is a really great one. Why would you ever want to be weak? (laughs) And he turned around and he realized that I was filming and he's like, don't post that. But I posted it because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. I've been talking a lot about uh, with my warriors and I actually recorded a podcast with Dr. Stacey Sims and that will be out uh, next week or a few days after you listen to this, I think. And one of the things we were really talking about is the importance of being really strong as a woman, especially a woman who is in her 40s and is going through perimenopause or the menopausal transition or is postmenopausal. And it's not fun to be weak. <laughs> I've been there. I've been flat on my back on the floor in pain, very weak, very broken, scared to train, not confident in my body. And last week on the podcast episode with Stacy, we were talking about the importance of strength training for women and that approximately one in two women over the age of 50 will break a bone because of osteoporosis. In fact, a woman's risk of breaking a hip is equal to the combined risk of breast, uterine and ovarian cancer. And that's according to the National Osteoporosis Foundation. And that's crazy, huh? Super crazy. Menopause is such a precarious time for bone health. And we can lose one-fifth of our bone density during the five to seven years following menopause. That's about 20% of our bone density. And so that really makes building a strong skeleton a priority in our 40s, uh, even in our 30s. You know, we want to lay down this uh, as soon as possible. I was talking to Carson about this after I got off the podcast episode with Stacey. And he's an RMT, so he's a practitioner. So he works on a lot of human bodies. And one thing that he notices is the massive loss of lean muscle mass in women who are in their 40s, 50s and 60s and also the increase in fractures in these women. And one of the best ways to mitigate uh, some of these effects of aging and going through menopause is to strength train. We got to be strong And not just so we can lift more weight or look a certain way, but so we can be capable and resilient and carry a plant up three flights of stairs if the elevator is broken. (laughs) And if you aren't currently strength training, but you really want to, you know that it's important for 
strength, for power, for body composition results, for you to feel better in your body, to feel more confident. If you're not sure where to start, I invite you to go and download my free 12-week bodyweight strength program. I've just written it. It's up there. It's whacked on my website. It's also, if you click on the link uh, in my bio on the gram, you can pop your email in and you'll get her straight to your inbox. It is three days of training for 12 weeks using your own body. I'll show you where to start when it comes to this training stuff. So for 12 weeks, you got three full body sessions. It is broken into two six-week blocks. I show you how to progress your training as you get stronger and I give you loads of tips on creating a consistent training practice. Also, I give you a bunch of resources because it's impossible to write everything that I know about training and getting stronger in one small ebook or resource. So I actually give you loads of resources throughout the ebook that link to relevant and related podcast episodes so you can go deeper. All right, let's start. Okay. I want to talk to you about how to ask for what you want. Oh, yeah, she's going to be a spicy one. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bowe, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Ah, what a hot topic I have for you today. And it's just going to be you and me, baby, one-on-one. Let's spend some solo time together and let's talk about how to ask for what you need. So I have a couple of questions to kick her off. One, are you connected to your true desires? Do you know what you want? Do you feel powerful? Do you ask for what you want? Write them down in your notebook or your journal. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk a lot about a really powerful book that I just finished reading on, wait for it, Power, (laughs) Unbound by Kasha Urbanik, who for I think nearly 20 years, so over the course of 20 years, worked as a professional dominatrix and practice 
Taoist alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China. That duality just blew my mind. What an interesting, dynamic, fascinating, intriguing combo. Uh, And in her book, she talks about the importance of knowing what you want. So being connected to your deepest desires. She talks about power, influence, and how to ask for what you want. She calls it the ask. So today we're going to talk about what is power? How can we get more of the importance of your desires and knowing what you want? Why women have such a hard time asking for what they want? The difference between submissive and dominating roles of attention? Elements of a powerful ask? The ask, we're going to talk about the ask, so how to powerfully ask for what you want, the importance of attention, how to overcome resistance, and a no. And we're going to go through some examples of asking for what you want out of the book. So everything that I speak about today is taken from her book, not word for word, (laughs) I'm just here, standing here, uh, flying from memory. I've got a couple of notes in front of me, but the ideas, the concepts that we're going to talk about, uh, what we're going to work through today comes from her book. So that is The Power Source, and I highly recommend that you read this book. It was very good. And so you know me, I've spent about a month or so since I finished reading it, marinating in the ideas and concepts. I've gone back and I reread some sections, uh, wrote some notes, and here I am. The reason why I want to talk about this is because a lot of the women that I work with have a really hard time asking for what they want. So I thought that we would start by talking a little bit about power and like confidence, she speaks about how power isn't, it's not a certain outfit, it's not a mode or a mood or a certain pose. Power and being in our power, being unbound from, you know, the the culture, society uh, really comes from our desires. So when we connect with our desires, our deepest, truest desires, and we express them fully and use them to live a powerful life, that is power. And so I think power and confidence play off each other and they dance with each other quite well. When we feel confident or feel powerful and I believe both come from the mind that we create them in the mind and it's a feeling which then drives actions and behavior. So a lot of women have a really hard time asking. I don't know about you but there has been times in my life that 
I've really sucked at this asking stuff. (laughs) So I think we have such a hard time for a couple of different reasons. And one she speaks a lot about in the book, which is we have got to know what we desire. And what she talks about is how we actually don't choose our desires. Our desires are within us and they rise from within. Now, if we squash or push down those desires, we, we feel unsettled. We live this life that doesn't quite satiate us. It doesn't hit the mark. And so we don't choose our desires. They're in us. And it's our role to let them come up and to connect with them, to use them, to express them fully and use them to live a really powerful life. I think the other reason why we have such a hard time asking is that we have this misunderstanding of what it means to ask. I think we've been taught that asking is a weakness Uh, You know, we're asking because we can't do it. We don't have the capability or the resources to do it or the knowledge or we're asking because it's a last resort or, you know, a sign that we're in need. And I really think that that's the curse of this independent woman, the curse of feminism and you know, this idea that's been sold to us that women can do it all, we can have it all. And, you know, we can, and I totally believe that we can have it all and do it all, but not at the same time. And I don't think that's just a sex thing. I don't think it's a gender thing. I think it is a human thing. I know many males that are trying to do it all and in the end they create stress on their nervous system. I know loads of males in their late 30s, 40s who have let themselves go, uh, are unhealthy, have stressed nervous systems, their physiology is a mess. Uh, Loads. I know loads. I used to work with loads. I used to train them. Before I really specialized in women, a lot of the people that I worked with were males, uh, males who had big jobs, big businesses, entrepreneurs, very successful, very wealthy, had families, you know, played a really powerful role in the family unit and were broken (laughs) and stressed because we can't have it all at the same time. And so she talks about how asking the ask is an act of power because in order for us to ask, we have to be connected with our truest desires and be able to express them fully. So throughout the book, she shares a lot of stories uh, from the dungeon and her own experience to her students she actually created a school in New York where she teaches all of this stuff 
And so she is a really cool storyteller. And one of the stories that she tells at the start of the book is around this whole idea of asking and where she kind of came up with the ask. So she would do these sessions in the throne room, which was a room in the dungeon. And she had to do an entire session seated on the throne. She talks about how she ran out of requests that there are only so many times a man can rub the floor or kiss her feet. So she started creating these crazy extensive lists of things she could ask her clients to do while she was seated on the throne. And then she started to really practice this asking uh, outside of the dungeon. And she talks about how it helped her connect with her deepest desires It elevated relationships in her life. It invited people she knew to collaborate in new ways. And it allowed her to summon new people into her life. This is the power of asking. When we ask, it can connect us to our deepest desires. It can elevate our relationships. It can invite people that we already have in our lives to connect or collaborate in a new way. And it can also bring new people into our life. So let's just talk through some of the beliefs that we have around asking and why we don't ask. So this is what she's found through her work in her school. I can't think of anything to ask for. I can't ask for something I could do myself. I can't ask for something I can't pay back. I can't ask if I haven't earned it. I can't ask if it means I owe them later. I can't ask unless I'm desperate. I can't ask for something I want, but I don't need. But most women are afraid to ask because they are afraid of hearing no. They're afraid of the resistance. And we're going to talk about that today a little bit later in our conversation. So where do we start with being able to ask for what we want? We have to start with desire, the power of desire. We have to start with knowing what we really want? What are your truest desires? And your truest desires aren't goals. Your truest desires are deeper than that. They're deeper than the goals. The goals come from the desires. So the first step is getting clear on what do you desire from your life. And she talks a lot about the good girl taboo, (laughs) that we have always been in this practice of fixing ourselves or trying to fix ourselves. Uh, And we have this good girl conditioning that tells us that we're not enough and don't want for more. Uh, Actually, there's a really cool quote in the book. She says, the most radical thing a woman can do is want. And I love that and I would totally agree. 
So when we move from this good girl conditioning, this good girl identity, you know, where we're constantly trying to fix ourselves, where we're disconnected from ourselves, where we're constantly trying to squash our desires of what we want. When we shrug that off, uh, we can access the magic of every one of our needy, lusty, selfish desires. Uh, And when we smash through this good girl conditioning, we stop being ashamed of wanting too much. And when we do this, we don't exhaust ourselves in order to get to what she calls this mythical there. And we have this idea that there's this mythical there. And if we get there, we'll be replenished and we'll arrive. (laughs) And when we let that go, we can then go on a path that really feeds us and gives us energy. So as she talks about in the book, we don't create desires. We don't choose them. They arise within us. And so the most radical thing that we can do is want, is listen to them, is express them and to live into them. So there's an activity that she gets you to do in the book and I wanted to share it with you. I thought it was quite funky and cool. She calls it the bad girl protocol and (laughs) it's this idea of meeting your inner bad girl. Now I've spoken on previous podcast episodes in my interest around our shadow side, our dark side And I've been doing a lot of work on this, unleashing our dark side, looking at our shadow characteristics or traits, things we try to hide because we don't like them about ourselves. And when I read this activity, that's what I thought of. You know, we want to meet this inner bad girl, this dark side of ourselves. And so this exercise that she gets you to do is, if I were a bad girl, I would dot, 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 dot. And she wants you to list all of the things that you would do if you were a bad girl, if you connected into these deep, lusty, needy, selfish desires, you know, this dark side of you, what would you do if you were a bad girl? So I want you to pause the podcast episode and I want you to do the exercise. I want you to make a list. If I were a bad girl, I would. It's quite fun, actually. So I want to loop back up to why we have a really hard time asking. And one of those reasons were that we have this misunderstanding of what it means to ask. So... What we do, what we're very good at uh, is what she calls sneakily asking <laughs> that we have div- we have come up with a thousand sneaky ways to ask without asking and that we tend to complain instead of asking. <laughs> we also tend to hint at what we would like instead of asking directly for it. <laughs> Yeah, is this resonating? (laughs) When I read it, I just had a giggle to myself because I have totally done this. Uh, And I actually caught myself doing it the other day 
with Carson. And we had a great conversation about it. Uh, The thing that I love about Carson when I'm on a roll, like diving deep into a topic or learning about something, I really get excited and we always, I get to bring it to him and we get to have really cool conversations. So there's this quote in the book where she says, every complaint hides a desire. And I really love that. So if we think about, you know, Maybe we're complaining about being tired or maybe we're complaining about not having enough time or maybe we're complaining about our body and how it looks. Underneath that complaint, there is a desire and that is to feel vital and to have loads of energy to do what you want. Uh, It is to feel loved and lovable and attractive and sexy and wanted and comfortable and proud of yourself. So under your complaints hides a desire and that can be a really cool place to start. If the word desire feels a little bit overwhelming and you're like, look, I'm just trying to get through the day. I'm just trying to get all of the things done. I feel like I don't have the energy, the capacity to actually tap into my desires. And remember, it's always going to come back to an energy thing. Yeah. So we could start with what do I find myself complaining about? So she moves into talking about how we really need to redefine the ask. We need to redefine what it means to ask. And there's this piece in the book that she talks about, which I really love and I want to share it with you. So I'm gonna, okay. (laughs) She says that nearly every social interaction already contains an ask. And I experienced this yesterday on the stairs in my apartment because the elevator was broken again. Uh, There was a workman and he was going in ahead of me and he left the door open for me. And so I I went in and I started walking up the stairs and I said to him, not a great day for the elevator to be broken, hey, because he was doing, uh, they're renovating an apartment up the hallway from us on the third floor. And he didn't say anything to me. He didn't reply. It's not like he didn't hear me because I was right in front of him, only two steps ahead on the staircase. And it was a very awkward moment, but I thought about this part in the book, how every social interaction contains an ask. I was asking him into the conversation. And, you know, when a stranger talks to you about the weather, they are... That contains an ask. They're asking you to connect. And I think that is a really cool way to frame it up. That every interaction that we have with each other already contains an ask. And when it works well, we bounce off each other the you know the conversation or the connection or the relating is like a dance and this has to do with playing um, a submissive or a dominant role 
And it has to do with attention, which I'm going to talk a little bit about, which I find very fascinating. So let's talk about the elements of a powerful ask. There's a few things that we need in order to powerfully ask for what we want. One, you need to know what you want. (laughs) Two, you've worked through feelings you have about asking for it. So often we have a circumstance and the circumstance will create a thought and the thought will create a feeling. So we'll, we'll have a circumstance in our life that, you know, we, we want to change. We've got this desire. We've got this thing that we want. And the current circumstance isn't meeting that desire. So we're going to have a thought about it. And then that thought is going to produce feelings And so we've got to work through the feelings that we have about asking. So for a lot of us, asking means weakness. Uh, It means that we aren't capable. Asking might mean that it potentially is more work for us. Uh, Asking might bring up perfectionism. They're not going to do it right. Friction, the word no, it could bring up shame. All of these feelings that can come up. And so we've got to work through those. And in the book, she actually takes you through a bunch of activities and exercises and walks you through how you work through those feelings about asking. Then you need to get clear on, you know why to ask. You know why you're asking. Then we can move into being okay with hearing no. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second, because what she's seen in her work, one of the biggest reasons why we don't ask is because we have a fear of people saying no. Then we can look at the how. And so the last element of a powerful ask is the how. How do we actually do it? And you know, we're all about action around here. So We're going to spend a big chunk of time talking about how we can ask powerfully. So the most important component of the ask is where your attention is focused and it needs to be focused out. So this is this is a really cool bit. She talks about domination and submission and how those two things are the art of attention. She doesn't mean domination from a place of cruelty or submission from a place of weakness. The term submission describes the state of attention turned inward and what you feel from that place. So your attention is in on your feelings, your desires, your sensations. And it's about you creating your world where your desires have already come true. So you're living into those desires and you invite the other person into your world. So we're using the word I. It is not a passive state. It's not about weakness or submitting to someone. It is about feeling. She uses the word dominant to describe when your attention is out and what you do from that place. So doing, 
dominant feeling submission. Submission is I, dominant is you. So the attention goes out onto or into someone else. It is a location. So that person is a location. And from this place, you can locate the other person, find out what's going on for them, read their animal body and help them locate themselves. And from that place, you can ask anything. So you're using the word you. And she dives way deeper into these uh, two states of attention. So she talks way more about the dominant state and the submissive state. So again, I highly recommend that you read the book, but we're going to go through some examples and we can look at the two different states of attention. So I have some common statements that have come out of my hot mouth and I'm sure that they've come out of your hot mouth. I really wish you would be more romantic. I really wish you would help around the house. I really wish you would walk Hank more. Now, these are desires, but they're not asks. And often these comments can feel like an attack because of what they imply. And so for the ones that I've listed here, it's implying you are failing as a partner or a lover. You're failing at being a dog owner. And we have to be really careful that, you know, we have these desires, we have these wants, but statements like this, we're not actually asking for anything. And when we make comments or statements like this, the other person feels attacked because we're implying something. And let's look at how we could shift that. So, could you take me to dinner on Saturday night? That is what she calls a dominant ask. And that would be a very specific ask for the desire to be more romantic. And you could get very specific with that. Could you take me to dinner on Saturday night at and buy me X and then make love to me on X? So that is a very dominant ask. Or we could look at, it would mean a lot to me if you walked Hank on Tuesday mornings. Do you think that we could have a conversation about that? That is a submissive ask. So we've gone in to our desires. We're using I language. The other one is a dominant ask. We're making a request. It's really important that we try and be as specific as we can be with the request or the ask. And Elise spoke about this on the podcast we did together on mental labor. So if you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend you go back. Elise is a dear friend and a psychologist who came on the podcast and we spoke about this concept of mental load or mental labor. And a lot of the time, a lot of women that I work with, they carry a lot of mental load. There is a lot of mental labor that goes on behind the scenes to run their life or run the family unit to navigate their little humans' lives. And so 
When we can get really specific with the ask or the request, that can take off a lot of the mental load or the mental labor. Also, if we don't set very clear parameters, uh, if we don't set a very clear request or ask, we don't know whether the ask that we came up with satisfies the desire it was designed to address. And this is really important because We don't know if the ask or the request that we're going to make to that other person will actually satisfy the desire that it was designed to address. In the book, she talks about how sometimes it's impossible for us to know if that ask that we came up with is addressing that desire. So sometimes the experience doesn't quite hit the spot. And it's only through lived experience from making the ask that we can move closer to what we want or what we need uh, or who we need that person to be for us in that request or that ask. So every ask is an experiment And I talk a lot about this when it comes to our training, that the practice is an experiment, that we want to show up to the practice with a curious mind, and then the body is the boss. But really, every training session is an experiment. We're not sure how it's going to go until we're in the experience. And then it's only through lived experience that we can move closer to making sure that we're better nourished or that potentially we need to modify the session after a crappy night's sleep. So it's the lived experience that's important. And we're only going to get that when we make the request or the ask. So I want to talk about overcoming resistance or dealing with the no, which she talks a lot about in the book. And remember, one of the main reasons why we potentially don't ask is because we don't want to hear a no. We don't want to come up against that resistance. Another reason why we may not ask is that we feel like it's going to take away from the other person, that it's a burden for that person, an inconvenience. But she says that asking doesn't take away from the person you ask. Instead, it creates a new and exciting role for them. She goes on to talk about how The other person has to feel that they can say no. So too many women never hear no because they never put themselves in a position to hear it. They don't ask. And they also have to be okay with hearing a no. So we need to be able to hear no and keep going. Keep going in the conversation. And this is where this idea of locating, influencing them and having power over someone in the conversation comes into play. Now, when we talk about power, again, we're not talking about it in the sense of I'm going to dominate you and I'm going to have power and I'm going to control. The goal is to locate them help them locate themselves and then influence them 
in the conversation. And she gives loads of really cool examples with her students uh, doing this process. And we'll go through one bigger example in a second. So we got to be okay with hearing no. And when people say no, she says that they are protecting something important to them. So maybe reflect on when you've said no, it's highly likely that you were protecting something that was important to you. So I say no a lot and I'm protecting my energy or I'm protecting my time. And resistance is okay. To quote her, do you have any idea how boring a session in the dungeon is when there's no resistance? (laughs) She goes on to tell a story about... uh, You know, if she requests her client to kiss her feet and he does, there's no resistance and it's so boring. But if she requests the client to kiss her feet and he gives resistance, she's got something to play with. She can put her attention on the resistance and say something like, did my request upset you? Did my request x y or z to you and what you need to be able to do in this situation is you need to be able to keep your attention out so if she made that request and then there was resistance and she put her energy in back to he doesn't want to kiss my feet because they're ugly and it was about her that's attention in and a lot of women experience this After they make a request or an ask, they find it really hard to keep their attention out. And so the attention goes in and then they start to feel like they're not enough and they feel shame and they start thinking about themselves. And it's really hard to uh, influence a conversation when our attention is turned inward. So when we can keep our attention out, Here we can actually express interest and respect for the no. We can't do that if it's in and we're just focusing on us. And if we want to be able to influence someone, progress forward in the conversation, get our desires or our wants met, we've got to express interest and respect for the no. So she calls it locate, approve and influence. We need to locate the person by asking questions about the circumstances that led to their no. Like, how did it make you feel when I asked you that? The goal is to help them label where they are. And once we can locate them or help them locate themselves, we can then approve of how they're feeling. After we do that, we can then influence them. So I thought that we could go through a cool example. Uh, And in this example, she's using a little bit of fantasy to demonstrate that it doesn't matter what the conflict is about. You might be asking your boss to expand your role or get a raise or asking your husband to consider opening your marriage or to have another child or for him to walk the dog. It could be a weighty, high stakes request or ask or conflict, or it could be one with much lower stakes. 
even though it may not feel like it. So the circumstances will change. The sense of curiosity and playfulness you bring to the conflict should not. And she's really big on this curiosity and playfulness, this lightness that we can bring to a conversation. And that really comes through when we've gone through this process, when we have legitimized our wants and desires, when we've gone through looking at how do we actually powerfully ask, we then can really play with the resistance. So let's look at what happens when Abby tells her husband, Emilio, that she's interested in purchasing a unicorn farm. In one scenario, Emilio immediately flies off the handle. What are you talking about? You want us to have unicorns? I thought we were committed to raising dragons. Abby makes a first attempt to locate him. It seems like you're pretty angry. I'm not angry. Okay, is it fair to say that you're upset? Of course I'm upset. You want to throw everything we've worked for in the trash? Congratulations to Abby. Although her husband is still quite upset, she has located him. And she can tell because he's started to divulge valuable information about the nature of his resistance, revealing that he automatically equates Abby's desire for a unicorn farm with a desire to throw their dragon hatchery away. Even though Abby knows she's not throwing their dragons away, she moves to approving of the state her husband is in. Remember, just as with ourselves, approving of a state does not mean condoning it. It simply means acknowledging what is actually happening as opposed to what you wish was happening. Approving means getting aligned with what is. Abby can combine approval with location. You're upset because you think that I'm throwing our dragons away. I love that you're so passionate about our hatchery, but I've given this a lot of thought and I think this is how we deepen our commitment to the magical creatures, not end it. Approval is a very powerful move. Logically, it should move the fight or conflict into a, it should stir it up. (laughs) Uh, We're really poking the other person right where they're trying to hide. And yet we often find that the opposite happens. Simply seeing the person and acknowledging where they're at diffuses the situation instead. Approval certainly does not mean that you permanently accept the state the other person is in or are resigned to living with it. In fact, it's usually helpful in being able to move them to a different one. If you yell, you're not actually mad about this, you have no right to be mad about this at someone who is angry, you're telling them they're not feeling what they're feeling. And even if you succeed in getting what you want, it will be through shame or intimidation, not influence. Skipping the approval step, refusing to acknowledge where someone is rather than where you want them to be is often why people get stuck having a version of the same fight over and over. The other person will keep dragging you back to the scene of the crime until you see them where they are. But if you really get to the core of someone's resistance and connect with it, then you're actually going to get somewhere. 
it's exciting to look at someone and recognize that there's something hidden and it's a rare person who thinks there's something held back there. I'm going to put my attention on it and use my imagination and sense and test and play until something moves. Knowing that when it does, everyone will be nourished because the release will provide light and heat and imagination and juice, passionate fuel for everybody involved. This, of course, is influence. With location and approval, you are using your attention to determine what is trapped and needs to move in another person. You can then ask what's needed. What's the next thing that needs to be clarified or felt? Where's the energy, the heat, the life? And what will move us into a different, more exciting, more collaborative place? As far as achieving influence is concerned, there's only one rule. Follow what's alive. Remember, every ask is an invitation to play and to relate in a new way. So stay attentive to the hotspots. Another way to think about influence is moving the other person from what he's fighting against to what he's fighting for. We've talked about fighting against, fighting for in the context of discovering our own passions. Here we use the same framework to think about playing with resistance in another person. This is why engagement with resistance isn't just a way of getting what you want, but a gift you give to the other person. You are discovering things about the other person that they don't even know about themselves. Abby's husband may sound like he's fighting against the possibility of the two of them raising unicorns, but what he's really doing is fighting for their dragons. She needs to show him through the ask she makes and the command she gives that she is doing the same thing. She'll do that by locating him and approving of what's going on with him and by proposing a solution for the two of them to deepen their relationship with magical creatures and the strength of their connection to that world by embarking on some glorious and exciting new adventures together. People are very good at protecting their secret fears, their deepest worries and their shame. So Emilio is most likely not going to come straight out and say to Abby, I'm not secure enough in my masculinity to become the unicorn guy. Chances are he's going to find another way to make an end run around the conversation. He might, for instance, invoke a third party, a wife should or the church says, or everyone says unicorns are. Of course, there are only two people in a dynamic. When someone starts dragging a study or an institution into the conversation, it generally signals a deflection. Or he might say, you've been under a lot of stress recently and we both know how you get around your birthday. I think you're letting your emotions get the better of you right now. Unicorns aren't going to solve your midlife crisis. You're not clearly seeing the risks. Whew. <laughs> Emilio might try to gaslight her by telling her she doesn't really want what she wants. You don't really want to get involved with unicorns. You're only thinking about this because of those influences on Instagram. Even if that's true, Abby has taken my class and she knows she has no say in what she wants. Emilio telling her she isn't feeling what she's feeling isn't going to return the I want a unicorn genie to the bottle. Or Emilio might try to switch sandboxes, which is our shorthand for hijacking a request or turning a conversation so that centers on something more comfortable for the hijacker. Of course, dragon farming has started to feel unsexy, given that I'm exhausted working night and day to support our shoe habit. Do you have any idea how much your credit card bill was last month? 
If Abby's not careful, they're going to end up talking about her spending habits, which might be absolutely fine and appropriate at another date, but is miles away from the conversation she initiated about beginning to raise unicorns. Hurt and ashamed and angry, Emilio might come after Abby with a threat. If you keep talking about unicorns, you're going to find yourself without a husband, or he might reach for the death ray option designed to humiliate and shut his wife right down. Nobody takes you seriously now. How do you think they're going to respond when they see you on a unicorn? Killer comments like these can be a very effective way to cancel the conversation. Unless Abby keeps her wits about her and remembers what she's trying to achieve. Or Emilio might shut the conversation down by powering down himself. Absolutely not. This is not open for discussion. Now or ever, I'm going out. I need to be alone. One way to end a game of tug of war is to drop your end of the rope. There's also cross-examination, but you just said five minutes ago that you wanted more time for leisure, and now you're saying you want to start a whole new unicorn business? Or what I call the sub-off, where both parties make exhaustive lists of how much they've sacrificed for each other. I can't believe you'd come for me with this unicorn garbage after I've worked a 70-hour work week at a job you know I hate just to keep you and the dragons in the fancy house you couldn't live without. And there are hundreds more. But it doesn't really matter what Emilio does in the name of resistance he's feeling. What matters is Abby's ability to get what's behind it. There are a million different reasons that a man might feel fear or shame or trepidation when his wife suggests that they adopt a few new legendary creatures. If Abby really wants to get him on board with the plan, then she needs to figure out what Emilio's specific resistance to her proposition is, using location and approval to get him to say more. Is Emilio worried that she's saying that the hatchery is boring? Is he concerned that her dissatisfaction with their dragons really means she's tired of him? And then she needs to use what she's learned to influence him. Let's go through some possible responses that Abby might use to guide Emilio through his resistance. Let's say Emilio evokes a third party by yelling about their peer group. Normal people don't do this. How am I supposed to explain it when my buddies start giving me shit about my sparkly horn unicorn horse? Abby can start by locating him. It seems like you're worried about what other people are going to think. Is that right? And then approving of what she's located. I totally understand why you'd be scared that other people are going to think you're less of a man because we raise unicorns. Then she moves to influence. But can you also imagine how your friends are going to feel when your never-been-done-before business idea takes off and you're laughing all the way to the bank? If he tells her she's not feeling how she's feeling, trying to tell her that she doesn't actually want what she wants, she locates his skepticism and neutralizes it. You don't want to believe that this desire is mine, but I want this. I want this for me. I want this for us. I want you with me. I want us to do this together. This is also a great example of a submissive style ask. Then she can locate him again. You're afraid that you and the dragons aren't enough for me and that I'm leaving. Is that true? Or she can be a little sterner. Have you considered that this might actually be very well thought through? I have no intention of hurting or embarrassing you. That's why I'm talking about it with you instead of running off to a unicorn auction behind your back. If he tries to switch sandboxes, she can locate him by not letting him get away with it. Why are we talking about my credit card bill right now? Am I supposed to change my spending habits before we can talk about getting a unicorn? Or try something a little softer. 
I agree that we need to have a clearer communication around my, our spending, but let's set another time to talk about that so we can stay with the conversation we're having now. If he goes on the offensive and attacks her, she could try something like, do you really believe what you just said about me? Or are you trying to make me feel bad so that I stop talking about this subject, which obviously is terrifying to you? Or you called me a horrible bitch. Either you believe that or you need to be vicious right now. Which one is it? Both of these encourage him to locate himself and might be all that's needed to get him to calm down and apologize for name calling or cause him to escalate, which is also information. Let's say Emilio responds with, I'm not getting vicious. You're the one trying to humiliate me in front of God and everyone we know. Success. Abby's got some information to work with now. You feel humiliated right now and that sucks, but you're getting ahead of yourself and imagining that what I'm proposing will exclude and embarrass you. Is that true? Or I have no intention of hurting you or humiliating you. That's why we're talking about it right now. Or nothing has happened yet. We're just sitting here in the living room talking. You need to be able to tolerate this without fast forwarding to an imaginary worst case scenario future. If he continues to attack, she can say something like, say what you need to, but I'd like to slow this down so I hear and understand your concerns. Always, she is trying to elicit more information about his resistance, more data about the tender spots he's hiding and protecting by saying no. What else? What are you scared of losing? What do you need right now? Say more about that. What do you mean by that specifically? I see that you're angry. What else are you feeling? I want to know more about why you believe this is impossible. If Emilio shuts down, declaring the topic closed forever, Abby can locate him. I see that you're upset and approve. I know you're upset because our dragons are important to you, as they are to me. If you need to take a break, that's cool. But you don't get to stay shut down. We're in this together. And then she can go digging. What would you need to hear in order to keep talking about this? What are you afraid to tell me that makes walking away from this conversation easier than talking? If Emilio is legitimately too upset to continue, Abby might agree to let it go, but not forever. I understand that you're too upset to have a conversation about this now, but I would like to schedule a time to revisit this when you're less distraught because I've given this a lot of thought and the topic isn't going to go away from me. In all of these scenarios, and again, this is just a quick sampling of the infinite ways a conversation like this could go, Abby is returning to the fundamentals. She is paying attention to where Emilio is, approving of it, and using the information he shares to move him from resistance to passion. Her goal is to not to get him from angry to not angry, but into a state where he wants to collaborate and play to come up with new solutions. The dynamic becomes generative when it gets connected. Okay, Warrior Woman, I think that is enough for today. Uh, Hopefully there were some really cool nuggets in there. Uh, As I said, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I got a lot out of it and I'm applying some of these principles in my relationships and my conversations. Okay, that's it for today. Uh, Thanks so much for being here, for whacking me in your ears. It's lovely to spend time with you and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, 
please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.